0: Again, we are now taking a break from Matthew, starting uh, what we call our Christmas series, and this year's theme uh, for the next four weeks, five weeks, is the King is here. I'll say it again, and feel free to amen, whistle, or cheer. I'm gonna say it again: the King is here. <laughs> the The eternal kingdom of God. Uh, as we are going to see as we walk through this, is here. It is why Jesus came to earth. So as we've been talking through the book of Matthew, and we've called the series Going Through the Book of Matthew, Your Kingdom Come, we thought it would be a great time to stop and just look in depth at the king of that kingdom, King Jesus. Now, what's going to happen over the next four weeks is we are going to take Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, and John, and that is we are going to take the uh, narrative or the account of Jesus coming to earth and what that looked like through those four, what we call the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we are going to start tonight in the book of John, so John chapter 1, if you have your Bibles with you. We also want to help understand why are there these four gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, from what we can put together from history, uh, we see the probably the first book written It goes back and forth, Matthew or Mark, uh, but more than likely, um, for those of you who have read the Bible, studied the Bible. We see at one point, Paul, in one of his missionary journeys, it says, Mark left, or Mark abandoned us. And later on, Paul would say, don't bring Mark. I don't trust that guy. He abandoned us. And then later on, we see uh, Paul write, hey, bring Mark. He would be of much value to me. And we talked about that years ago in the book of Acts, of how to disagree well, and how do we disagree not well. And So Mark, it is believed, when he left Paul, he went back to Jerusalem, and what ended up happening is he sat down with the apostle Peter, who is one of my favorites because he's always saying things he shouldn't say or doing things he shouldn't do, Uh, very similar to someone very close to me, myself. And so he goes back, and Mark is written very quickly, and we'll go more in depth in this next week. Uh, But it is basically Peter giving his account of what he saw Jesus do, and there's words like immediately that are used repeatedly in the Gospel of Mark. Shortly thereafter, uh, Matthew would have written his, and Matthew takes a longer approach, but he seems he's using parts of what Mark wrote down from Peter's memory, and Matthew is expounding on them a little bit. But as we've been saying as we go through the book of Matthew, Matthew was not written in a chronological historical narrative. It's basically an intro, and then there are four different Um, messages that Jesus preaches or teaches and then the followings after them is how Matthew um, has put together uh, his gospel narrative with very, and as we went through chapters eight and nine this last year, we said all of these stories that Matthew is writing are for a very specific reason, why he's grouped some together and why some are separate when he's talking about uh, the miracles that Jesus performed. And then Luke uh, would come along later, and Luke is Greek. He is a Greek physician that ends up traveling with Paul, and uh, he writes the Gospel of Luke, and he writes the Gospel of Acts, whereas both Mark and Matthew were written from an eyewitness perspective. The Gospel of Luke is written by um, Luke, who is a phenomenal historian, and he is… a well-educated person in the Greco-Roman uh, education system. And he goes about talking, and he's doing interviews. And it is believed that as he traveled with Paul, he would line up interviews and discuss with eyewitnesses and discuss with the apostles what they saw. And so his is a chronological telling, but also very detailed, because again, as he's writing this two-volume, Luke and Acts, he is wanting the person, Theophilus, that he is writing his letters to, to know that they are going to be recorded, but he's writing them so that the Greek world would understand that Jesus is king of all kings. And so, whereas Matthew and Mark have a very Jewish perspective on them, very specifically Matthew, Luke is written to the Gentiles for them to understand who Jesus is, and then, so the three of those are what are known as the synoptic gospels, Um, and then we get to the book of John, and I always get goosebumps and kind of have to fight back tears uh, because I just love the perspective of John. It does not match up with the other three, and that's why those are the synoptic gospels, and this is just the gospel of John. John would have written this very late in his life. Um, John lived longer than all of the other apostles. It is believed for two reasons. One, he was the youngest apostle that followed Jesus. The, some people believe he was only 15 or 16 when he chose to follow Jesus. But also, at the time of writing, it is believed that all of the other disciples would have been martyred by this time. Um, John would have lived a very full life doing what God commanded. It would, we'll see in the end of Matthew called the Great Commission when he says, go and make disciples, teaching them baptizing them. And that's what John spent his life doing. Uh, John would have pastored, if not started, the church in Ephesus. He uh, took Jesus' mother Mary with him wherever he went, as believe that Mary died in Ephesus. And, and he would have just been as close to Jesus. And so when you get to the gospel of John, the thing that stands out so much to me is that it is written like somebody would write about their best friend, It is written from a perspective of this is a person that I trust and that I love dearly and that I have. This is the person that I rely on. And then the big picture of John is he is inviting you to know his best friend as he does. He is inviting you to follow along with with Jesus, who is exactly who he said he was going to be, the Savior, the one who brought peace and light, and he is inviting you into this relationship with his best friend, and it is an open invitation. And I just think um, as somebody who looks back on their life and remembers just the fun times that I've been able to have in ministry, and I am very young, please understand, I am very young, say it with me, Rob is very young, no matter, um, my joke is, man, next year I'll be 28, and it's going to be really weird, but the truth is I'll be 44 in February, Uh, and I know what you're thinking, no way, (laughs) no, but I look back over the incredible times I've had in ministry with my friends, I look back over the times that just in the last uh, seven years of, of playing a role for in this church plan of Hope Church, and the stories, and the things that play in your mind, and then I get caught up, and can you imagine what it was like for John, who walked with Jesus, who saw him perform these miracles, who everybody would have said he's too young, and yet he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, In the other three, we see they don't really mention a lot of names. In the other three, the account of Peter taking the sword and cutting off. It's always referred to as, as a disciple pulled his sword, especially in Mark, who it's Peter telling. But then by the time John comes along, all of his friends are dead. He's watched them killed horrifically uh, as martyrs. It's believed that at this time, they have tried to kill John three times, including one being burned in oil, and they couldn't kill him because God wasn't done with them. And so he's looking back and, and remembering all that he saw Jesus do. And there's a reason that John went from being known, um, at one point, him and his brother James, they go into a Samaritan village and the Samaritan village rejects them. And they go, hey, Jesus, we went and talked to him. They didn't accept you. I think all we can do is call down lightning and burn all of them. (laughs) And then the next chapter, Jesus refers to them of, woe, sons of thunder. Uh, Basically, making fun of them for, that's your response? (laughs) They reject me and you're like, we gotta kill them all. But then John, and you see the work in God in his life, he then becomes known as the disciple of love. In his book of 1 John, explaining what it is to love each other, that we truly don't love God if we can't love each other. And so to see a change in somebody's life like that, who's seen it all, been through it all, and then comes to the end of his life and wants to make sure that every person knows who Jesus is and that they can be in a relationship with him as well. That's way longer than I was planning on going in the intro, but I just love this book so much, and I love his perspective on it so much. And as we go through this series, we'll be giving you more resources so that um, these will stick with you. By the way, if you didn't get a Christmas reading plan, this will help you as we go through this series. And if you didn't get one, there are some in the back next to the offering buckets there in the back. You can grab it on the way out. So, how do we see the king... Jesus the King, portrayed in the book of John. And before we jump in, I think it's very important to help you understand that he's going to say right in the very, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word, that Word, Word, is capitalized. Uh, In Greek, that is the word logos, that is Word. And it has much more of a significance uh, than what we would use it for. And it is a title of Jesus, that is why it is capitalized. Uh, Logos Or, word, uh, the way that it is defined is it is a title of Jesus understood as God's ultimate communication of truth about himself. In other words, at this time, it would be the written or spoken word is how you would relay information. Uh, It was very important. That was their only means of getting information. And so, what John is referring to Jesus as, as he is the spoken, the communicated word, so that God's creation can know how much God loves them, that Jesus came as a way of communicating to their creation that God loved them, and then he lived out or communicated what God's Kingdom would look like. And he communicated through his life that this is how we live in this kingdom, this is how we represent what that eternal kingdom. Will be. And so when John is referring to him as the Word, understand Jesus is the communication. That the Bible that we have now, which points us and helps us to understand what Jesus did, is doing, and continues, and promises that he will continue to do for you and I, is so that we can know God and we can know just how intensely and how passionately and also how individually God loves each and every one of his creation, how much God loves individually everybody in this room. I had a friend who preached for me years ago, and he said, if you were the only person alive in the world, God still would have sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. That's how intimately, that is how personally, God loves you, his creation. So now we will actually jump in. John uh, chapter 1, reading verses 1 through 5. John writes, in the beginning was the word um, we do a pre-service for everybody that works in Hope Kids, we do a service for them, and somebody in that, when I said it, he just smiled, and he goes, you know, that verse means more to me than any other verse in the Bible, um, you know, I mean, it's not, I'm not going to use his name, but it's not anything that he keeps hidden, but last year he graduated, uh, rehab, and he said that verse is what was the clicking point for him of, oh, God can get me through this, God can get me through this addiction, um, And so I love that. In fact, I was gonna do uh, an illustration that I did when we taught through the book of John a couple years ago. Um, And I took a cigar box and uh, I said, in the cigar box is darkness. It's full of darkness because it's sealed. And then I took a very small drill bit and drove it into the top and I said, now, is it still dark in there? No, it's not, that's the answer. Because light has penetrated the darkness even through the smallest, of holes. Light has penetrated the darkness. And I took another one. I said, this one is full of darkness. So I'm going to open it just to warn you. And then I opened it and I accidentally (laughs) dropped it and it hit the podium, went through the microphone and uh, Siobhan in particular literally leapt like two rows backwards and everybody screamed in the pre-service. And then in the main service, I didn't do it because we had people that were quite old with heart problems. And I was like, okay, well, be really careful how I do this one. Uh, But the truth is we, and I love this illustration that if I had a box and opened it and it was full of darkness, the room wouldn't go dark. Why? Because darkness cannot overcome the light. Uh, Only you have to extinguish the light for the light to not be present. But it says that Jesus is the light and he has defeated darkness. So I want to look at, thank you, it's okay to say amen, by the way. You can say as much as you want. Uh, so I want to look at three different ways that I see John portraying Jesus as king in this passage. And the first one is this, and I think he makes it very clear. Let's read the first three verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Here I see number one, Jesus, the eternal king. Jesus, the eternal king. He is the king who always has been, and he is the king that always will be. Uh, We see a lot of kingdoms. We see a lot of rulers and leaders that are just a drop in the bucket only one ruler, only one king always has been and always will be. And I think the importance of understanding that Jesus has no beginning and has no end, the importance of understanding that Jesus was with God in the beginning, that he is God and that he will continue to be God, that there is no beginning, that there is no end, allows me at least to be able to trust him with my eternity. It allows me to trust Him with what I've done in the past or what has been done with me in the past that He can use it for His glory. It allows me to trust Him that what He says will happen in the future will happen and we will be redeemed and we will be restored into what He has originally created us to be and because of those two things I can trust Him with today. That because He is the eternal king i can trust him in the here and now number two jesus the creator king jesus is the king of creation i think it's very important i've said it before i am what i call a biblical literalist meaning when jesus says in the beginning there was nothing and i made everything i believe there was nothing and he made everything I also believe that uh, after the sin, that things came in the earth, we talked about this last week, that disease and sin and uh, human beings that wanted to harm each other, they all became present, and that Satan also wants to continually turn creation to his own glory, that what God intended to be perfect, Satan has come alongside of and manipulated the creation, and that's how we have house cats. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing if anyone's paying attention. No, but all through creation, Satan is always trying to use creation to turn people against God. He is always trying to ruin creation. He is always trying to do things as um, Joseph says, what you intended for evil, God can still mean for good. Uh, Neil McGlowan says that only God can take a broken stick and write it again and point that stick to exactly where he wants it to go. Uh, we see God repeatedly, and that's, we went through the entire Bible as a story of God redeeming things that the world has given up on, or the world thinks is lost or a lost cause, but God is continually bringing them back to Himself. Chapters 8 and 9 of the book of Matthew that we just went through was Jesus demonstrating that He is King of creation, that although Satan has entered and there is blindness and there is demon possession and there is death, and you go on all that list, including that people are lost forever for eternity, Jesus came into the world and said, no, I'm bringing it back into how I intended it. I alone rule over creation. I can make the blind see. I can make the deaf hear and the mute talk. I can raise the dead. I can take the demon possessed and cast the demons out as only the King of creation can. I think it's important to understand that Jesus is the creator king, because if Jesus created everything, then he knows exactly why he created it. He knows its original intention. He knows all those things that you can't figure out about yourself, and why am I this way? Jesus is the answer, as we've been saying, and he alone can point you back to himself, because he alone created you. He alone allowed you to go through the things that you've gone through in life, because he knows how that can be used for his glory the problem with us is we like to point the glory to ourselves and we like to try to cover up our sin or what's been done to us or what we've done to others and we try to hide from that and only when we see jesus as the creator king can we trust in him that we are his creation that he has a very unique and special purpose for us and although satan will continually tell us the opposite we must preach the gospel to ourselves every day and come back to this truth Of how Paul wrote in Colossians. And uh, we see John 1 has a lot of tie ins with Genesis 1 about creation and why God made what he made and that Jesus was there. And then Paul writes later in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 1, starting in verse 15, he says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. I'm going to stop there. We tend as humans to put a lot of faith in other humans to accomplish the goals that we think Jesus needs their help. Jesus is over all creation. Jesus is over all thrones and powers and rulers and authorities. I'll continue. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Because he is the king of creation, because he is the creator king, he alone can come and rescue his creation. Because of the blood that he shed to cover your sins and mine, there is nothing that we can do that is so wrong that Jesus' blood cannot cover. There is nothing that we can do that creates us no hopeless, that there is no answer, because Jesus is hope, and only the creator who knows you intimately, who created you, has a reason for your life so that he can point the glory back to himself. And third, we see Jesus, the king of light. Jesus, the king of light. As we saw in verse 5, the darkness cannot overcome the light. I want to jump ahead in the same chapter, starting in verse 9. John always is referring, in his other epistles as well, he is always referring to Jesus as light. And I think if you've ever been in a situation where there was no light, nothing but darkness, um, and you're trying to figure out where things are, and you are bumping into everything, and you are hitting everything, um, and you're stepping on Legos, wherever it is that you find yourself that's dark... You want just the smallest piece of light that you can possibly get because that smallest piece of light is going to help you immensely. And I think that is how John sees Jesus and why he always refers to him as light is because he has learned to rely on Jesus as you would rely on the guide for you when you are lost. And so pick it up in verse 9. John says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. I want to stop there, because that part right there is the birth narrative of John. We tend to think when we come to Christmas time and we see uh, the baby in the manger, and when we see a baby, the first thing, what I think of is, oh, that needs me. Like, that baby is not going to do well without an adult or somebody who can meet its needs. Babies are terrible on their own, by the way. So when a lot of times I think we can get the wrong perspective around Christmas time because we picture Jesus as this baby Jesus who needs us, when in fact we should look at that and say, oh, we needed him. And John, when all of the other uh, Matthew and Luke specifically start from the angel coming and visiting Joseph, and the angel coming and and telling uh, Elizabeth that she's going to have John the Baptist, this is, when it comes to the birth perspective here, this is it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. I love that birth narrative of Jesus being born. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus came as the King of light, and he came in the form of a baby. He came in the form of his own creation to save the very creation that would eventually murder him. So I want you to understand a couple things before I close with some questions. Please understand that King Jesus, as we have been talking about it, he brought his kingdom to earth. Remember John uh, the Baptist crying out, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus starts preaching and he starts preaching the king or the king Kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. That baby being born on earth ushered in God's eternal kingdom here on earth. And he alone, Jesus alone, is King of Kings. He is king of this eternal kingdom, and you either re- accept him or reject him as king, and you reject or accept his kingdom. You are deciding to accept or reject the King of kings and Lord of lords. Understand that King Jesus has already won the battle over sin and death. He is inviting you to be in the kingdom that he paid for with his life so that you could have acceptance into it. He has already won. Please understand, Jesus is king, and your personal belief system doesn't change that. The question for you if you haven't done this is will you accept this? Will you accept King Jesus as who he is, the eternal creator, king of light? This king of creation who has loved you so much that he gave his life For you that he defeated sin when he took your punishment in the beatings and the whippings that he he took your sins on his shoulders then died and brought them to the grave and then he rose again leaving your sins in the grave and now you when you call upon him and make him the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life enter into that kingdom with him as your king. For those of you who have accepted King Jesus and and are part of this eternal kingdom, just know he demonstrates his reign in our lives when we live out his kingdom principles that he has given us in his word. Going back to Matthew chapter 5, where we see the Beatitudes, blessed are the And that word blessed again means partakers in the character of God. So you are a partaker in the character of God when you demonstrate humility, when you demonstrate meekness, when you demonstrate a reliance upon God and his word and many others. He demonstrates your reign and your heart and your mind when those kingdom principles, when his kingdom principles are on display in your life. When we accept him as our king, we become ambassadors of his kingdom. We represent the way he lived life here on earth. We bring light into a kingdom of darkness. We bring peace, mercy, grace, and hope into a world where everyone is looking for that. Everyone is looking, especially at this time of the season, oh, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Joy, happiness, all of these words that we start hearing more of this time of year, and everyone is looking for them. And just like Satan has done all the time with creation is he has created false hope, and he has created false joy, and he has created false love, and he has created all of these things, and he, in his kingdom of darkness, he has people following after them because they seem to represent quick fixes, But all of it is an illusion. It is false. It is a carrot that Satan has put out in front of you, hoping that you chase it, knowing full well you'll never get it. As Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, it's like chasing after the wind. But only the creator and king of this kingdom the author of life, as the writer of Hebrews refers to him. Only he and he alone, King Jesus, can provide you with these things, and only through him can you demonstrate to the world around you that is desperately seeking after them and when you live out these kingdom principles in your everyday life you are demonstrating that the kingdom of god is different than an earthly kingdom that the kingdom of god in the world's eyes is an upside down kingdom that only the king of all kings can rule in a kingdom where the last shall be first that it's not a mighty warrior, but rather it is a suffering servant that has come to earth to die for you and for me. Only the King of kings and the Lord of lords can represent his kingdom that will last for eternity in this way. So again, to me there is no question of whether Jesus is king of everything or not. I want to ask you three questions. If Jesus is king of eternity, the question is, are there earthly things that you are not willing to give up at the cost of eternity? Are there things in your life that uh, you have become so attached to that you are choosing something here on earth over an eternal time with God and God alone? That you are choosing to chase after this carrot on a stick that Satan has put out in front of you even though God is for you here on earth, that He can provide you with that hope and peace and joy and the forgiveness that only He can provide. You can add to it. Are there earthly things you are not willing to give up at the cost of your eternity or the cost of eternity for somebody else? Number two, Jesus is King of creation. The question is, do you entrust your identity to your creator? We work so hard in life to try to make a name for ourselves, to try to make you name it, whatever it is that you try to find your identity in. But are you trusting the creator with your identity? Are you trusting and seeking after him, knowing that he created you specifically how he wanted you? I harp on this a lot because for me it was a turning point in my life and I still have to fight it every day. But you entrust, whatever you find your identity in is what you will chase after. You might be trying to change things so that they're better, but also not willing to give up everything to follow God. And only your creator knows how he created you and wants to guide you in that. Number three, Jesus is King of light. Do you live with confidence, knowing that darkness cannot overcome light? I want to go back to verse five again. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then jump up to John three sixteen. Maybe you've heard of John three sixteen. But I'm going to continue reading. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I want to stop there. Unfortunately, and I mentioned this again last week, we have a tendency to view God as this Director of rules, and all he is doing is trying to catch you messing up. And that is just not the picture of God. That is just not the picture of Jesus in the Bible. And John 3:17 uh, is such a powerful verse again to me. He's saying he doesn't have to catch you doing anything wrong. You're already doing it. Jesus came not to condemn you, but to save you from the condemnation that you're already under. The only thing you can do to get out of that judgment, to get out of that condemnation, is to call on Jesus. Jesus didn't come to point out what you're doing is wrong. He already knew. He came to save you because there is nothing else. There is nothing you can do. There are not good works enough for you to do to get yourself out of it. It had to be the perfect Jesus, the Messiah, who would come to earth and to live a perfect life and then to die for your and my sins. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Do you live with confidence knowing that darkness cannot overcome the light or do you live in fear? Do you live in fear of what other people might think if you choose to represent the kingdom of God here on earth? Do you live what people might think if you're nice to that one guy that nobody likes at work? Or do you live with the confidence knowing that darkness cannot overcome the king of light as he shines in your life? So I just want to close with one last question. I'll make it two. One, if you have not accepted Christ as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, our prayer is always that you don't leave here tonight without doing that. Please come and talk to me. I will stay all night long to answer questions for you. Anybody that you've seen on stage, any of our guests, we would love to have, that's why we do everything that we do is we are people who found a physician and we want you to meet him too. We are like John, who have been able to count on and rely on this best friend, Jesus, and we can't understand going through life without him now that we know him. We want to introduce you to him. And then the final question for everyone is does King Jesus rule your heart? We've seen him as king of creation We've seen him as king of eternity. We've seen him as the king of light that cannot be overcome with darkness. But does he have rule over your heart? Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I am so thankful that you just didn't give us a bunch of rules that we could never live up to and leave us. But Lord, you created us for your glory. And although all we could ever do is sin against you, as Romans 6 says, we are slaves to sin, you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to earth as a helpless baby to demonstrate how much you love us. That you knew that we needed that sacrificial, perfect lamb that Jesus was to shed his blood and to take our sins to the grave and then defeat the grave, defeating sin and death so that we can have hope, that we can have joy, that we can have forgiveness. Lord, I pray for anyone here this evening that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would call out to you, that you would give them the courage and strength that we know Satan is trying to keep them from doing, that they might enter into that relationship with you. Lord, I pray for everyone here that does know you, that as we battle every day to allow you to have rule over our heart, that as we battle to have you rule over every aspect of our life, that as we battle because your light means that the dark parts of our life are being exposed, Lord, I pray that we would just surrender those to you, that we would continually preach the gospel to ourselves every day, humbly coming before you, repenting of the things we need to repent from, but then also serving you with the joy that only you can provide in every aspect of our life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.